Well, John chapter 16, 16 to 22. Okay. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again a little while and you will, and you will see me. Then some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. Bit confusing, isn't it? <laughs> and because I'm going to the Father, they said, what does, this, what does he mean by this? A little while. Do we not know what he is talking about? Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing amongst yourself what I mean? And when I said, A little while, and you will be no longer be seen me, and again, A little while, and you will see me. Hmm. Very truly, I tell you, I will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice, and, will have, and you will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. It's good. <laughs> and and the world will rejoice. That's right, I read that. And when a woman in her labour has had pain because of her hour has come, but when the child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought the human into the world. And we know some of you have experienced that. <laughs> so you have pain now, but you will see me again and your hearts will rejoice, and you will take your joy from you. And no one will take your joy from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank mm, Good. Thank you, Pat. I love the commentary as well. It's great. <laughs> it's kind of reassuring as well, these scriptures, uh, that the disciples, they're confused as well. These are people who hung out with Jesus, was face-to-face, and they still didn't quite understand what was going on. So there's, there's still hope for us all. Uh, we are, have been talking about and going through uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, in the last few services and the services to come. And um, uh, we tonight get to talk about joy, this beautiful thing of joy. Now, as I've mentioned uh, over the last services, the, the, fruits of, the fruit of the Spirit are these attributes of God, the, the very essence of who God is. Uh, and they are given to us as a gift uh, by his spirit, when his spirit is in us, what we get is the gift of these beautiful attributes. Uh, and last week I, I mentioned this, this uh, little example of a, a prism, uh, like a kind of triangle prism. And when you shine light in it, there's these colors that come out from that. And that is kind of a, in essence what is going on as we are like this prism. Unknown to us, there are, you know, there's actually more in us because we are made in the image of God. There's actually these attributes that are inside of us. And when God's spirit shines his light into us, what comes forth are these beautiful colors, these attributes, these beautiful ways of living uh, and color out into the world. And we reflect who God is. We reflect those attributes in us. And uh, that isn't a, a product of our making or our doing, but that's a gift. It's something that God does in us. Uh, and that's what's so amazing, amazing about the fruit of the Spirit. And yeah, we're encouraging through this series about how when we sow, when we put effort into cultivating the Spirit of God in our lives, He actually grows these things in us and He gives us these gifts of His fruit that is alive. And so we come to joy, this beautiful thing of joy, joy amongst us in 
our lives. It's one of those, those words that just kind of lifts your, your spirits. It's, it's nice. Joy, yes. It is like this glorious light that shines. Oh, it's joy. Uh, and we, hear, we see here in the scripture, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. He's preparing them and, and, and sharing about there will be much mourning and weeping. There will be much sorrow, but joy is coming. Just as a time of labor for a mother, something that I've had the beautiful privilege of witnessing, there is much pain and anguish in those moments. At times it feels like, it, you know, is it going to end? Are we going to get through this? But all that anguish, it does, it literally goes in a moment of this beautiful, beautiful moment of joy when a baby and a child is born. Uh, it is, yeah, breathtaking to actually, all this hard work that I don't do, uh, that Michaela did, and that women do, uh, and all this, this, this groaning and anguish, it, it just ends in this beautiful joy of a child being born. And so we, yeah, we see joy throughout the scriptures and happens and it, it, it gets referenced in the, the uh, psalm earlier today that we read out in Psalm 30, uh, verse 5, it's, it says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now what we're going to have a look at is that, you know, sometimes we get confused. What does this mean? Does this mean that if I go to sleep worried and ang- ang- anxious and confused about life, I'm just going to wake up happy? <laughs> I'm just going to wake up excited on life. I don't know about you, but if that's joy, I'm, I'm probably doing it wrong because uh, I can go to bed worried about something and I'm still worried about that in the morning. What does this look like? What does joy actually mean for us to actually experience joy? What does it mean? We're going to explore a bit of that, try and understand that though life can be full you know, of happy and sad moments, there is still joy in the midst of that. But also, I, just, I truly believe that God actually wants to impart his joy into us tonight, that it's something that he wants to do by his spirit to actually bring joy into our lives. And so I'm believing for that tonight. So we're going to look at three aspects. We're going to look at what is joy, what is the opposite of joy, and how do we get it? Firstly, what, what is joy? Well, the Greek word for joy is kara. And kara is actually kind of the same Greek fa- word family as the word grace, which is charis. And joy and grace are, are connected. They have this kind of connection in words, but also they actually have this connection in kind of the deep meaning of, of what it means. They're actually connected in how they operate. Joy and grace. Uh, and so let's, let us say from the outset that joy does not equal happiness. It does not mean happiness. It's not just this, we're all ha- always happy. In, um, in Apostle Paul's famous words in Philippians 4 verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Paul here is not saying, be happy always. Never have a sad moment. Never be down or sad on life. Be happy always. Or even in the scripture reading that we read earlier, Jesus himself, he says in verse 22, So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Is Jesus here saying, no one's going to take your happiness from you? 
You're always going to be happy. This is, if you're a Christian, you're always happy. No, he's not saying that. <laughs> because joy does not equal happiness. Unfortunately, we often think this as the picture and we can get caught in this web of thinking, if I'm not happy, if I don't stay positive, if I don't just stay on top of things, then I'm, I'm, I'm against the Bible. I'm against Jesus. I'm, I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong with me. If I'm not just feeling happy all the time. And this is the lie that it's actually about. The joy does not mean happiness. There's actually something deeper that is going on with joy. There's something more important that is at work. As I mentioned, joy is connected to grace. And this word grace actually means gift. Joy is a gift we receive. It's something that we are given Not something that we get because we've earned it, but something that has been given to us. Joy is is not happiness, but instead, joy can be defined as something that we delight in, something that we savor, something that we treasure. Joy is the moment when we step outside and experience creation and nature around us. And in the, the, the fact of bringing in and, and experiencing the beauty around us, we just have this sense of fullness of life. There's like, oh, this is good. This is beautiful. This, this is what joy is. It's actually a moment that we can't craft in ourselves. We didn't create the beauty and the creation around us. But when we step out on it, there's something that actually gives us life. It is a gift that we are given when we experience the fullness and the beauty of life around us. And in particular, as we experience that in God. Its joys can be found in moments in, in nature. It can be found in moments where you have a hearty laugh of friendship, laughs that you sometimes can't control because you just keep laughing. It's joy in moments with a warming, consoling hug of intimacy when something isn't right, something's gone wrong. It's that hug that actually brings joy and delight. Joy is a gift in which we treasure and delight in something. There's also much more, we can kind of think about this as, as delight, but as, and, and then we can kind of connect it with pleasure. We can connect it with something that we desire, but it's actually much more than just desire and pleasure. It goes much deeper than that. C.S. Lewis, um, who when he wrote, he uh, wrote a book about him coming to faith and his journey about coming to faith, and the title of his book is Surprised by Joy. Uh, and, he, you know, coming from an atheist background, he uh, was smacked, literally, on, an, on a, he went on a bus ride, and he was an atheist before that, and then after the bus ride, he, he decided to be a Christian. It was this moment where he was surprised by joy, surprised by the joy that, is, that he, he found in God. And he, he talks about joy. He says, I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure, joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power, and often pleasure uh, and pleasure often is. See, what we, 
tends to actually happen in the world around us, we actually end up chasing pleasures. We're chasing kind of these things that will give us some sort of happiness and some, some feeling of, you know, everything's going to be okay. We, we're chasing pleasures. And the mistake of our world is we've replaced joy with these pleasures. We're trying to chase something because you know, pleasure is something that we can control. Pleasure is something that we can plan. It's something that we can actually make of ourselves. Now, you know, not all pleasures are bad. Some, some are bad. But not all pleasures are bad. It's actually good. It's a good thing. It's nice to actually plan a weekend with friends. As we've had kind of this weekend, we've had a great weekend with some friends hanging out. It's nice to plan beautiful experiences in, in places and different things. But we are fooling ourselves if we think that we can sustain a happy, flourishing life through these pleasures. If we think that these are the things that will, will give us the satisfaction that we need in continuing, because pleasures can be nice, but they leave little delight in us. They may distract us from reality for a fleeting moment, for a moment in time, a weekend or a week, but they often do little to actually change the groaning, the worries, the anxieties in our hearts. They don't actually address what do we long for. The other thing that joy is really connected to is joy is connected to hope. Another one of Paul's key concepts that he writes about in his letters is, is hope. And people wondered, have wondered why hope didn't kind of make the list of fruit of the Spirit. Well, where's hope in the, in the list? But they also then connect, actually, joy is really connected to this hope that is going on. And this is what we see in Jesus' teaching, that he's sharing his disciples. He's trying to get them to rejoice and to, to see this joy because there is hope. There is something that has changed. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, we talked about this a, a few services ago where Paul is addressing the sexual immorality of the church in Corinth. And he's dealing with something that's going on in that church. And he says in um, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch as you really are unleavened. Now, he's not trying to get people to be bakers here. He's making a point to saying that you have lived your lives, Corinthian church, in this way where the, the yeast of our culture has, has seeped in, is actually dictating how you live. You have not been discipled by Christ, but you've been discipled by our culture. And so you think this sexual immorality is okay, but this is actually ruining who you are. And so you've let this little bit of yeast in. Don't you know, clean out the old yeast. Clean out those ways of living and actually see that God is making something anew. Jesus Christ is making something anew. And it continues, for our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. The Lamb of God is the one that has made something new of us. He is the one, Christ sacrificed, who has changed us. Therefore, let us celebrate. Let us rejoice the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
there's this, this beautiful picture of hope as we actually celebrate and have joy in our lives. It's a picture of, of seeing and grabbing a hold of who Christ is and who he has made us, what he has made of us in our lives, that we're no longer going to be dictated by just seeking pleasures and seeking what we want only, but actually seeing with hope who Christ has made us seeing with hope how we have been changed by the very goodness and love of Christ. This is something that we delight in. This is when we savour and treasure who Christ has made us, when we savour and treasure the beauty of what Christ has done in us. That is where joy erupts in who we are. Now I'm going to just ask Ruth. Ruth's going to quickly come share. Ruth is a person who epitomizes joy. And so I was doing this message and I was like, let's just ask Ruth, share for a couple of minutes why joy is important to you. So let's give her a hand. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I have been so lucky and blessed in, uh, by God that when I connect with him and when I encounter Jesus, I so often feel the joy of the Lord. Um, and it's just honestly, like Joel said before, it's just like a hug from your heavenly father and I feel like everything will be okay. And that's kind of why joy is so important to me. And I could be like worshipping and obviously everything is great, but then I could also be sobbing and going through whatever and Sometimes God will encounter me and give me this gift of joy and just lift my eyes off of what is happening in my life, of what is facing me right now, and fills me with gratitude of all the things that he has blessed me with and his faithfulness, that he continues to always be there with me and that, um, yeah, it like lifts. It is literally a lifting motion and lifts my eyes and yeah, just fills me with this joy, this comfort. Um, and it helps me to keep going. It helps me to be faithful because I know that God is faithful and I know that nothing like nothing can happen that is gonna change that and nothing is gonna get in the way of that even. I mean, I go through all of my, like as I can attest that I'm not always a joyful person, but when I, encounter <laughs> when I encounter Jesus he just fills me with this beautiful gratitude and comfort um, that I hope to share with others thanks Ruth so what is the opposite of joy that's the next question what is the opposite of joy many think the opposite of joy is sorrow or sadness much, you know, depicted in the beautiful Disney animation Inside Out, which I actually watched again for, with our kids yesterday, which was nice. Uh, you know, where there's these emotions inside this child's mind, or I don't know what it is, uh, where joy and sadness, and often they, they don't, like, joy can't understand sadness. Joy is at odds with sadness and she doesn't quite understand what is going on and how sadness can be involved in this child's life as an emotion. Um, yeah, there's this feeling that sadness is the opposite of joy, but as we've kind of experienced and talked about, joy does not mean happiness. It's actually our delight, what we 
long for and savor and treasure what is important to us. And so joy um, is not just an emotion. It's not just something that we feel, but it's something that can be lived despite whether we feel happy or sad. It's something that is actually more deeper than just happy or sad. It's actually something that we choose to, to step into, and it's, it's, a, it's like a, it's a gift. It's a gift of God that actually we're able to have a mindset of joy, of hope, because of who God is and how he has made us. And so the opposite of joy is not sorrow, but the opposite of joy is resentment and complaining. If joy is a gift of delighting and treasuring, of savoring the beautiful things, being outside and just taking in the goodness of God or the goodness of creation, the opposite of joy is, is harboring and growing in resentment of an increasing disdain and bitterness being outworked in this complaining attitude. And when we and our world chase after pleasures and are not satisfied in it, don't actually find the satisfaction, we can quickly and easily turn to point our fingers at those who are at fault with not giving us that sense of satisfaction and fulfilment that we need. And we start complaining about those things. We see that in, in our culture today, an age of complaining, an age where criticism is at an extreme high, probably due largely to social media. There's this extreme high of critical analysis and pointing the finger at we, it's, it's hard for us to trust anything in this modern day. Hard for us to actually accept and see what good that could be done because we're easy to just point the finger. There's this complaint, this bitterness, this resentment that grows in our culture. And as I, I mentioned last time, I've been reading this book uh, by Henry Nouwen called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, and in the, one of the chapters I was reading, he um, identifies with the elder son in Jesus' parable, this beautiful, famous parable found in Luke 15, um, where Jesus shares a story of a younger son who leaves the family home uh, in a most dishonoring and disgusting way. He almost left leaving saying, I'm, I disown this family, I want my money, and I'm doing my own thing, this, this gross way of living. But then he loses everything, finds himself in an utter, utter mess, and he returns home in humility and just brokenness. The beautiful story shows this loving father who, despite being rejected and shamed by his son, which was a big deal in, in those days, in shame on a culture, he lovingly welcomes the son. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't show resentment, but he lovingly shows absolute abundant love. This, oh, it's amazing. And throws this big celebration, this party. It's joyful time. You know, Jesus is trying to show the love of the Father for us. But then he also, Jesus shares this story in this story about the older son, the son who stayed home. The son who was with the father, who was righteous through it all, who didn't do it, who did everything right, followed it all, but he could not go into the party. He could not cope with the love that the father had shown to his younger brother. He, could, he did not experience the joy of the father. And Jesus finishes the story in that place without actually addressing 
what the oldest son's response was. Did he end up going to the party? Or did he stay in resentment and bitterness towards his father? We don't know. I think that ambiguity is intentional by Jesus. Anyway, Nouwen's thoughts around the scene. Now, this is a bit of a lengthy quote. Uh, Thanks, Isaiah. But um, track with me because this is just telling of our human condition. (laughs) Nouwen says, It is in this spoken or unspoken complaint that I recognize the elder son in me. Often I catch myself complaining about little rejections, little impolitenesses, little negligences. Time and again I discover within me that murmuring, whining, grumbling, lamenting and griping that go on and on and even against my will. The more I dwell on the matters in question, the worse my state becomes. The more I analyse it, the more reason I see for complaint. And the deeper I enter it, the more complicated it gets. There is an enormous, dark, drawing power to this inner complaint. Condemnation of others and self-condemnation, self-righteousness and self-rejection keep reinforcing each other in an ever more vicious way. Every time I allow myself to be seduced by it, It spins me down in an endless spiral of self-rejection. As I let myself be drawn into the vast interior labyrinth of my complaints, I become more and more lost until, in the end, I feel myself to be most misunderstood, rejected, neglected, and despised person in the world. One of one thing I am sure Complaining is self-perpetuating and counterproductive. The tragedy is that often the complaint, once expressed, leads to that which is most feared, further rejection. Once the self-rejecting complaint is formed in us, we lose our spontaneity to to the extent that even joy can no longer evoke joy in us. Joy and resentment cannot coexist. And as I first read through that, I could identify in the times where I have grumbled and complained, where I have murmured. And you can see the vicious cycle of how that complaint can just turn into more resentment and ultimately it turns into this rejection because we live in this bubble where everything is about us and pleasing us, that we actually push away all that is around us. Joy and resentment cannot coexist. And so where does this resentment come from? As stated before, joy is so closely connected to hope and hope actually is so closely connected to our our safety In Romans, Paul says something rather shocking. He's trying to get the Christians in Rome to see that their hope is not found in in complete happiness, in just complete pleasures, in just being kind of happy all the time. Rather, he urges them that joy and hope can be found in the midst of suffering. In Romans 5 verse 3, he says, 
And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. There is this hope that is actually connected to suffering. What is not likely, this unlikely picture, that suffering can connect to hope, but it's actually in the midst of suffering we see the love of God among us, that we see that God is actually with us despite our suffering. And so Paul is here trying to address that this safety that we are longing for, this joy, this pleasure that we're trying to find in in grabbing what we want, in grabbing the pleasures of life, and often in the process, having complaining and resentment attitude, where we're trying to grab at pleasures, that only leads to this resentment. But when we, in the midst of suffering, can actually be led to hope, and a joy that is there because Christ loves us, when we actually live in that place and see the love of God in the midst of our suffering and pain and have joy and hope to believe that God is with us, we have a different mindset. Our safety, our security is actually based on God's love for us. He's trying to address that safety that we feel because Rather than kind of getting the safety in God, we want to find that safety in feeling good, in happiness, or in going after the right things, the things that we want. And, you know, safety is important. This is an important part of what it means to kind of be someone who flourishes. Having safety is important. We should feel safe. But we have tried to long for safety in, you know, our homes, in careers, in our schools, in our bodies. We want to feel safe as a culture. This is a big thing that is, is important, and it rightfully so. We should have this feeling that we are safe. But when we've placed that safety on the wrong ideas, it actually leads, can, can lead to this resentment. But when we find that safety in the love of God, hope and joy can rise in us. So for us to actually address the resentment and the complaint in us, we must address where do we find our safety? Where do we find at rest? This is what leads us to our next point, number three, how do we get joy? In Luke's gospel, um, Jesus sends out his 70 disciples to heal the sick, release the demon-possessed, and to preach the good news of Jesus, to repent of the kingdom of heaven has come. And now we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
You see, their joy was first connected in how well they did. They came back returning from their trips and said, we're rejoicing in that, the fact that the, the, the um, demons are, are submitting to us. We're rejoicing in, in the miracles that we have seen. They're, they're rejoicing in what they have achieved and what they have accomplished. And how often we hope and delight in our accomplishments. How often we place what we can, our, our joy and delight in what we have accomplished. Delighting in, in landing that, that dream job or getting that perfect grade or doing well in a certain project or having this certain image in our family. We can delight in certain accomplishments. And the disciples and we delight in something that can often change, that is fleeting, that one time it's going well, but then sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes our performance and accomplishments are happening, but then sometimes it's not. And when it doesn't quite work, if our joy is in that, if our true delight, the delight of who we are, our treasure, what, what is really important about us is wrapped around our accomplishments, we will be destroyed. We will be crushed. Notice Jesus' words in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have been accepted, that you have been loved, that you have been welcomed like the father welcomes his son's home. Delight in the fact that you are loved despite your performance, despite what you've accomplished. Find joy in how God has loved you as you are. Find joy in the fact that he is for us. Now this year, McCann and I have been doing this course um, across the year and it's at moments been highlighting and digging deeper into the gospel uh, and trying to understand these different aspects of the gospel. And going through this course, I just had, have had so many great moments of joy, so many glimpses like a, like a beautiful garden of the goodness of God, the magnitude of what God has done for us, of how he came, God, the very creator, came as a man to die for us. The beauty of the gospel shapes who we are and shapes how we think. And when we actually spend time soaking in and thinking about the gospel, the joy of who he is actually takes us and it's, it encapsulates us. It's this amazing thing when we actually, there's this a joy that erupts inside and there has been moments where I felt overwhelmed with joy and this, that's not something that I can create. I can't just manufacture that. It's just something that actually has been given. It's a gift that God actually enlightens me to the beauty of what he has done for us. When we have these moments where we stop and think about what he has done and how he has shaped us, it just fills us with joy. It fills us with this love, this amazing goodness as we actually take time to consider what he has done. Henry now and again in that chapter about the older son, he shares how uh, through his resentment and distrust of the father, the, the older son, though he stayed home, had become a foreigner in his own house, that he had lost true communion with the father. It's a scary place that, that we're all at risk of, that we can get so comfortable with doing the right things, 
doing the right, saying the right things, you know, that we actually lose communion with God. We lose actually trusting the Father because we can get to a point where we've worked it out ourselves enough and can figure it out from here. I'll take it from here, thanks, Father. I know how this works, and so I'll take it on my own. And in that process, it actually can lead to that resentment we feel to the Father, and we go, no, you're actually doing it wrong. Uh, this whole thing, this whole system that you've set up is not right. And we th- I can actually do it a bit better than you. I can actually handle things. I can love a bit better than what is going on. You know, have you seen your church? It's pretty messed up. <laughs> I can do this a bit better. And we can think that through our ability and performance, we can outdo God. I mean, maybe we haven't thought that process, but consciously that can happen and what we're, we're at risk of. And that if we think at our performance, like the disciples, the demons submit to us, if we think our performance is the thing that actually is the marker, then at some level we either are going to think that we're too good for God or we just are crushed by what is going on. The only way forward is an act of grace, an act of gift of God where we come to the lowest place where we can submit to him. And now when he says from this perspective of the elder son who is lost in his own home, he says, but my true freedom I cannot fabricate for myself. That must be given to me. I am lost. I must be found and brought home by the shepherd who goes out to me. And here on this Father's Day, we again see the magnitude of the great Father. The Father who, yes, left, who welcomed the the younger son with amazing love and welcome, saying, you are welcome back in. Let's, Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's have joyful time. But he also is the Father who left that party to come speak to the older son and say, You are invited in. You are welcome into this party. I don't want you to just stay out here, outside the party, outside my space of joy. I actually want to welcome you in. This is the Father who welcomes us into his great love to experience the joy of the Father, a gift that is beyond ourselves, a gift that has been given by Christ, by God. As Zephaniah 3.17 says of an exiled Israel, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with singing. This is our God who actually rejoices over us, rejoices over who we are, is delighted in us and welcomes us in, invites us, us in. And so the way forward is actually to see the invitation of trust and to let our guards down, to actually come before our Father and say, I, I have tried to do this in my own strength. I've tried to seek after my, my pleasures or my accomplishments, but I can't do this in my own strength to actually repent and go, Father, 
I accept the invitation of your joy, and I want to trust you. I want to trust you. Trust is that deep inner conviction that the Father wants me home, that he wants me home, that he wants me to be rejoicing with him. Trust is is allowing that Father to actually rejoice over me. There is this strong, dark voice in me that says the opposite sometimes. God God really isn't interested in me. Or, I mean, what, what can he really do for me? But we have to, again, come back to our knees and say, Lord, we need you. God, we need to trust in you and hope in what you can actually produce in me, a joy that I can't produce in myself, but is everlasting, that is there despite the good times or the bads. There's a joy, a delight, a desire for hope in the newness of what you are doing, God, and not what I can produce for myself. So this is a time in particularly our, our current culture where sorrow and despair is, is, you know, at a high, where there's this distrust and unknown of what's happening. We as the church should rise in joy as be people who actually present and bring forth the joy of God in the midst of all that is going on, to actually have faith and trust to, to know that, God, you're doing something despite what I can see and understand. This is not just an empty, naive joy that just is only positive and happy all the time. This kind of airy, fairy joy. No, it's, it lives in sadness and sorrow. But in the midst of that, there is a hope and delight to see there is something more, something greater than I can understand. And I trust in that Father who is, whose love is greater than mine. I trust in that joy. Lastly, I just want to share the beautiful scripture of Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, considered him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. We are the joy that was set before Christ. You are the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, that he endured the pain, May we grab a hold and consider him who endured such hostility against himself that we may not grow weary and lose heart. We're going to have a, a moment of another song in a moment. And uh, in that time, I just want to open up this space down the front where I just want us to actually be free to come before God and to say, Lord, I submit again to you in trust. I submit and believe that you and your joy is actually what lifts me and gives me hope. That maybe you're going through a time where you don't feel like you've got lots of joy around you. You don't feel like this sense that things are hopeful or you've got this delight in what's going on. I just encourage you, let this time be a space and a moment where you actually submit again to God and go, Lord, I want to trust you. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubt. Help me in my, my sorrow and hardness. 
help me to see joy take root in my life. And so I just encourage you to do that in just a moment. But we're just going to have a moment of silence and confession just before we get there. And so let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. We submit again in trust in all you are. Lord, we just pray for your joy to be alive in our hearts and lives. Lord, we say we're sorry for where we've trusted in the pleasures or our accomplishments, where we've chased other things and the yeast of our culture has seeped into our lives. God, we just submit again to you and say, Christ, that you have sacrificed all for us. You are our rescuer and deliverer. You have saved us and made created something anew in us. And we find joy and hope in what you are doing in our lives, in our world, despite, despite maybe what we see or feel. Lord, strengthen us in that, I pray. Amen.